Welcome, everybody, back to a new episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club to view the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between. It's all on the table. I am your host, Rohan Patel, and joining me today are some of my regular co-hosts, uh, Cynthia Lee and Natalia Owen. How are you all doing? Surviving. Surviving. Uh, given the heat wave, I, I'd say surviving is like peak, like living right now. I feel uh, like you can time mark these by like our moods, depending on what we say. And like, oh, if you mentioned the heat wave, then like someone who knows Seattle or what's happening in the PNW is like, oh, that happened at this part of the week. Yeah, it's like a historical document of like weeks before. <laughs> It's great. Our podcast serves multiple purposes here. So <laughs> in case you're also trying to catch up on your local PNW recent history, feel free to listen more. Um, <laughs> yeah. Natalia, how you doing? Pretty good. I've been staying pretty cool because um, I have AC, so it's nice. I'm wearing oh, a sweatshirt right now. You can see <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have banned long sleeve tees for like the next three months. Personally. I think I literally got heat exhaustion on Saturday. Yeah, like honestly, my uh, my cat. Uh, we just got a new cat, and the cat literally it sits like right in between the windowsill and the back chair. And we were wondering why it's because and we found out it's because the vent is right under the chair. So like it gets all the cool air blown up in like this little tiny crevice about two millimeters, and it enjoys it. So, oh, um, it's cute. Yeah, he he's. He's needy though. He may ask too much at 2 a.m. So, <laughs> um, okay. So as hopefully you've been listening to the many podcasts that have come before this, um, we don't have club going on right now and school, school is off. So on the pod, we are going through trilogies of either studios or filmmakers. And today we are covering the second film in our current Michael Powell and Henrik Pressburger trilogy. Um, the first one we did, which you can listen to last week, A Matter of Life and Death. Highly recommend you check that out. And this week we're going to, in chronological order, to the next film in their series, um, made in 1947, Black Narcissus. Before we get into any of the, you know, spoilery things, we just wanted to let you all know about the plot, what it sort of happens, and so, I'll just read a very um, rough synopsis that, okay, okay, uh, I, I, la last week on the pod, I will say I was reading straight off of Wikipedia. This time I wrote it myself, so I feel like I'm plagiarizing less. So I feel proud of this. Okay, and I, I think this is more succinct. I, oh no, because I'm, I'm terrible with like uh, succinctly like remembering things like in a stream. And so like, I think I need to write this in order for me to like get it succinctly and for it to make sense. That, that is my defense of, of writing these plots, but yeah. All right, so I'll just read the plot real quick. So um, the film starts out a, a mission in uh, Kolkata where Sister Clodog, Clodog, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I forget how to pronounce her Cloda. name. Cloda. Cloda, okay. So. Okay, so the G silence, okay. So Sister Cloda is sent along with Sister Philippa, Sister Brioni, Sister Blanche, and Sister Ruth to establish a school and hospital in a village in the Himalayas at the request of the general of the princely state that it is in. And so when they arrive, they are introduced to the general's agent, who's sort of like the in-between between between the British government and the local Indian government. This was set in British imperial times, by the way, uh, Mr. Dean. Uh, Mr. Dean warns them that the conditions to succeed to establish a school, a monastery, hospital is tough 
um, monks previously came in and failed to do so. And he predicts that they won't make it past the beginning of the monsoon season. And most of the film follows actually as they set up and face many obstacles to getting a school and a hospital successfully under that under operation. The local caretaker, Aya, opposes a lot of what they're trying to do. They struggle to connect with the local population a lot. They do bring in some people, like they end up taking in a young boy as an interpreter. And they also take in a local girl, Kanchi, who they tried to help, but during the midst of this, she ended up falling in love with the general's uh, heir to the throne. And amidst all this, like all these obstacles and challenges, the nuns um, struggle to acclimate to their mission and their surroundings, and that causes a lot of internal crises over the film. For example, Sister Brioni suffers from illness. Uh, Sister Philippa fails to plant a vegetable garden. She instead plants some really weird flowers for some reason. Our main character, Sister Floda, she has a lot of flashbacks to her past love. And under all these stresses, one of the major plot points is that Sister Blanche fails to uh, successfully treat a fatally ill baby, resulting in the death. And after this, the mission is abandoned and they lose trust with the local population. The climax uh, is kind of following more Ruth's um, journey as she begins to develop a romantic obsession with uh, Mr. Dean, the general's agent, and becomes jealous, believing that Sister Clauda and Mr. Dean are actually a thing. In the end, this drives her mad. She attempts to kill Clauda after being rejected by Mr. Dean at the end of the movie, but she ultimately falls to her death when she tries to pu push Sister Clauda off the cliff of the monastery. And the film ends with the remaining sisters leaving the village as rain begins to pour down over a lake in what is a very beautiful, sort of brain pattern I found. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the film. Um, yeah, see, succinct. Booyah. Okay. All right. So let's just let's just jump 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 into it. I know this is at least our second Powell and Pressburger film. So wanted y'all to think how we're not doing exactly ranking, but how, you know, given that like a matter of life and death came right before this film. How do you think sort of that played into how you viewed Black Narcissist? Did you think like it was lived, it was sort of like what you expected given how fantastical everything was? Was it sort of a departure? I know what was y'all's first thoughts? I guess it's been always inherent, like every trilogy we've done where we like inherently compare it, which is like not the greatest thing in the world, but whatever. But I mean, I think at least going into a matter of life and death, like I feel like at least, I mean, I didn't really expect anything from that, but this, I was very caught off guard because I like literally did not know anything about this movie. And then I guess with Matter of Life and Death, it being so kind of absurd and surreal, I thought it would kind of land in the same vein. And don't get me wrong, the last third of this movie does. It just takes a while to get there. But I think I didn't know it was like set in like some Himalayan area and that there would be blackface and kind of weird racial undertones that made me super uncomfortable the whole time watching it, even though it seems to be also criticizing like the main white people in the movie. But at the same time, there's like these weird microaggressions going on that you, I just can't shake off like the whole time. And so like, I guess in comparison, I was just very confused i i i 100 agree the uh the brown face whew, i haven't seen brown face in quite a while so um it, it's it's a it's a reminder of the time that this was set in and sort of that i agree the microaggression is definitely there and it's so hard to shake off when you see gene simmons just anytime she's on screen and sort of 
that underlying plot is just completely like thrown off for me personally when I'm watching it. Um, it like makes no sense why it's there, I feel yeah. too. I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. I, when we talk about sort of the themes of the film, I think there's a purpose there, but I don't think it's quite as necessary in my opinion to have that entire subplot with the young heir and Kamanchi. Yeah, Talia, what about you? What were your, what were your thoughts when you were watching it? Um, I mean, I didn't have a lot of expectations, kind of like Cynthia going in plot-wise. I didn't really, I don't know. I mean, the name is cool, Black Narcissus, you know, but I didn't have any idea of what it was actually about. I knew it had nuns in it, but... Um, well, yeah, I, I didn't know about yeah. nuns, which made me think, maybe horny nuns? And I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I was expecting, um, especially seeing kind of the technicolor in a matter of life and death, I was expecting kind of the same, you know, visual kind of exploration and aesthetics and kind of that like velvety tone that Piper was talking about in the last podcast, which I think I got even more of in this movie. I mean, everything was just like so saturated mm-hmm. and the technicolor was so beautiful, especially with when it like kind of turned to the floor and the fo- the floor of the film. Flowers, so, like, yeah. Yeah, the floor flowers and the trees and kind of the rainforest I mean when you weren't at the palace with the nuns it was just beautiful and then it like that was a cool contrast too which um which was kind of like a matter of life and death and that it had kind of these two different realms one was black and white and one was very saturated with color but in this movie it seemed like you know in the high altitude where the nuns were kind of forming this convent or this trying to establish a hospital and a school up in the up in the high altitude, it was very bleak. Whereas when you kind of went below in the valley with kind of all the local people and kind of the already established culture, it was very vibrant and you had all these colors and it was kind of full of life. I agree. I I, I think the duality is, is probably a theme I've seen both in A Matter of Life and Death and here. And I'll, I'll agree with you. Like, I think this is more beautiful in my opinion even though it's weird to say that um because they're both extremely well shot and i've loved just looking at every frame there's such a dreamy quality to the setting and it's sort of being set up in such a high place with you know this isolated feeling it kind of felt like a place beyond where like normal people live which sort of ties back to a matter of life and that that's that's at least how i was thinking about it but yeah i i, I think like even Going back to your point of like the the lower lands versus like the high altitude of the monastery, like when you think about the title and like the all white clothing of the nuns and then the name Black Narcissus, there's that inherent like hidden duality of like what they really are versus what they're trying to be and sort of the repression. And I think that's a really big theme throughout the the, the film's running time. I, the other thing that I wanted, I, I thought was really well done was the production design. Again, like I know we talked about with The Matter of Life and Death, how, how opulent everything was and sort of the fantastical element. But here, I think it's more, cause I was researching the film and everything was shot on a, a shot on a soundstage which I found incredibly like, like as an achievement of like production design, like it's up there. Cause obviously I, there, are, there are moments where I can tell like, oh, that's that's a painting in the background. But, but they're like beautiful. Yeah, paintings. yeah, they're beautiful paintings. They're, they're, they're not the paintings I drew, which would have made the film <laughs> infinitely worse. But I, I think the ability that, that the whole art direction, I think, added that 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 grandness that we had in a matter of life and death to the film i don't know if you guys got that impression or not yeah i mean i think just the way they painted it to have like those those 
depths and stuff I, I think they're just like going for different things at that point you know like literally when she rings the bell and then they like have that like giant hill I almost thought I was gonna like fall off a cliff you know um so I think they're I mean I think they're just going to to, to like two different directions so like comparing them would be kind of weird in a sense because like you know a matter of life and death I mean both are trying to go for this kind of surreal mystical thing but I think in a matter of life and death it's like they're given a little more leeway because like in black narcissist it's like oh technically we're in a reality and stuff like that you know but I think they're just like given much more like I mean, nature is so beautiful. And so like, you're able to play with kind of the beauty of nature in a sense with the paintings. Like they just did that part in when in A Matter of Life and Death, when they, when he meets the commander for the first time in that like lush, beautiful area where they have like whiskey, like they just did that and amplified it in Black Narcissist, in my opinion. So it's like, yeah, they're just, I feel like they're just going to for two different things. I, I agree. Like it's two different like direct, like it's two different stories, like period. So I, I think obviously the the tools that they need to utilize are going to be different. But I, I still I still just wanted to highlight that as like if people are going to watch this or have already watched it, like I think I think it's just I I, I thought it was just like because especially with the amount of characters there are, like it just felt like for how small it must have been to film on the location, like I think. What they were able to get out of that in terms of building the story world around the characters and the pretty much one location i think was really really well done i guess going off the whole like multiple characters things because like i think i already kind of mentioned like this movie didn't really vibe with me the way that matter of life and death did you know and i'm i'm like trying to i mean there's like a big big red flag on why i know like i know why one of the main reasons why i don't really vibe well with this film and I kind of already mentioned it with the weird racial overtones. I, don't, I wouldn't even say they were undertones, but uh, if overtones is a word, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, a word now. You mentioned kind of how there's like a lot of characters and I'm wondering if like, because like at the end, I really only cared about, you know, Deborah Kerr and, um, or let me get the sister Ruth, sister Clauda and like, Mr. Dean like those were the three characters I was like the most invested in at the end like I couldn't give a shit about sister honey or sister Philippa or sister Bryony sister Bryony kind of going like and I don't think the movie really cares about them either which is kind of like okay if you don't really care about them why do they I guess not exist but they seemingly are supposed to help the themes of like repression and they're supposed to kind of help advance it. But I, I honestly don't think it does in an interesting way. I don't know about you guys or them. And then plus Conchi and the the young general as well. Them less so, but especially with the sisters. Yeah, I think the other sisters and their kind of own side stories, they just create a bigger contrast and give more credence to the to the theory that it's actually the environment that's kind of driving them all crazy rather than like a couple of individuals but you know I'm just playing devil's advocate no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah yeah I totally get it but yeah and kind of I guess pushing the theme forward of trying to fit something somewhere where it's just not going to happen if that makes sense like, like they're trying to thing, yeah. yeah like repair yeah. something that really they have no either right. no business repairing or they really are you know 
it's just not not compatible I guess is what I'm trying to say but um I did like how especially compared to a matter of life and death this is like much more of a drama so there's much more of a focus on internal characters like what the mentality of characters so there were were a lot more close-ups I especially love the close-ups of like sister Ruth and you could see the sweat on her forehead and her just getting crazier and crazier and her eyes like the makeup that they did on her eyes was awesome but um yeah that was the big difference for me and I think it kind of made me like it less just because it was more of like a drama and it was definitely a slow slow paced drama but I see what you're saying about kind of the other characters being pretty minor to the point that the story probably wouldn't be that different if their scenes were cut yeah because um, you mentioned yeah. like, it's so it takes forever to get like the movie yeah. hooked me like in the last 30 minutes I was like all in with like sister Ruth's rage you know but like watching them like steadily decline kind of was I don't know maybe it's just like I'm so not a patient viewer which I I I argue myself I am a pretty patient viewer but like that like none of their you know (laughs) dilemmas were I guess like had a high enough stakes I don't know I, I think it's interesting because I think now that now that you all mentioned it, like I think maybe more so the point of all the characters, especially the sisters, is like there's a very allegorical thing about British imperialism in the film. Oh yeah. And so I, I, I think it's just for me, like I think the point of those characters is to hammer it home again and again and again. Cause like, it's just a failure on all ends, no matter what the reason is for being there that, if you can't connect with the local population and you can't empathize and instead you're just there to fix things and you're there to repair things with the artifice it sort of fails and I, I i agree i think with the amount of characters you give less screen time to those that you kind of care about and so mm-hmm. and that's a sacrifice you know that that can work you, you see it in like altman's films with like the vast amount of characters but here i feel like they were so focused with the idea of imperialism that and that they didn't really give enough of well they didn't I don't think they gave enough attention to sort of the 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 part the sort of desire the 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 romantic desires that I think are more of the emotional core of the film and that's what sort of drives that last act and why I agree like with you Cynthia like when like Ruth is going all into this. She's spiraling down. She's about to escape the the monastery. I, I think that's probably the most riveting. And I think it's because also that that that's where the film shifts its focus to. I don't know if I would agree with you that like this film, it's very obvious that it's like about British imperialism. I think I think I got it. Like I obviously got it where it was like you can't like stick your nose into something and try to fix it without like empathizing or doing like basic conversations you can't just like plow over someone like how British Britain's colonialist like tendencies are but I don't know if for me that was more clear because Natalia you mentioned already that like the film seems kind of it also kind of is trying to say like this environment is causing them to like turn crazy so it's like is it the people who are invading is it their fault or is it the environment's fault and I feel like 
when I was watching this film, it felt more like, oh, the environment is causing them to go crazy. This like Himalayan foreign environment. And that is where I had my, like my biggest issue with that. Cause like, I can see where like, it is also saying like, you know, these people can't, are just kind of tunnel visioning their way through um, and trying to fix something without empathizing and communicating like what they're trying to do or like even like relating to these people who have been here for so long on a basic human level. I couldn't just like, it, it's so hard to like shake off the, the, the feeling that this film was like, ah, oh, it's the environment that's causing it. Because at the same time, there's like this, like at, it's so, it's so confusing for me because at one point there are like times where you can see it's like te- definitely critiquing the British. Like when the maid, I forgot her name. The Aya? Name, I, Aya is her, that's her name? Yeah. And she like mocks all the nuns for being like crazy or like laughs at their like issues, like what their issues are. Like at that point, it's like, oh my God, yeah, of course it's critiquing um these British people. But at the same time, it like totally exoticizes them as well, you know? And so, and the Mr. Dean keeps like him saying, like oh it's the environment he constantly hammers home that like just these nuns aren't fit for this like primal primal environment it feels so at conflict with one another that I and because Mr. Dean is like a much more major character than Aya I have like I I feel like it leans more into like the environment is causing them to go crazy. And that is where I, yeah, as I already mentioned, it's like the biggest issue I have with this film because it's like, no, that's not, no, (laughs) that's not okay. Yeah, I agree that's not okay. I I think like the biggest point for me is like when I first saw, because the monastery is set in this palace that's supposedly like the general used to have his mistresses stay in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so, and you see that that sort of wall, but the painting, and that's like very depict, like overtly sexual um, Mm -hmm. and sort of like, that's the place that they're in. I I think the way, I can't uh, assume what 1940s thinking was like, but the, the argument to be made there was probably like, I think it's less the, it's their, it's their lack of willingness to accept the environment, not the environment itself. Because I think part of that might be Mr. Dean, because Mr. Dean clearly is comfortable living there, but he sort of accepted the ways. And I think the issue with me is, A, the, the overt racial, oh, the brown face, the whitewashing, Aya's clearly supposedly, a, like a native caretaker according to wikipedia but clearly whitewashing that character but i think the way that they use language like you mentioned the sort of primary the prime the, they, they're primitive they have that whole monologue of the when they like first get there it's like the men are men they work because they have to and it's it's a very objective scientific look and i think it's not great not a great look for the film. So I don't know. I th- I would agree with you that the colonial it, it mismanages the that 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 whole imperial perspective or the whole imperial theme kind of doesn't take into consideration the racial um, um, linguistics and relations. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with um, both of you, and it actually make me 
think of, um, and I don't mean to change the topic too early, but it made me think of the like um, ascetic man, you know, who kind of, who occasionally you come back to in the film where he just sits on top of the hill and does nothing. And I was wondering what you guys thought of it in terms of the film's representation of like suppression and suppression of, you know, certain human desires or like sens- sensual desires, because you have kind of, um, or not suppression, repression, that's what I meant to say, <laughs> repression of kind of personal desires and sensual desires, because you have the um, monastery and then that suppression is kind of viewed in a negative light within the monastery, because you could argue kind of as a lot of, you know, like Victorian novels do, that the suppression is causing their kind of insanity and descent into madness whereas you still have kind of that ascetic lifestyle and suppression of you know bodily desires with this man I don't remember if he had a name what they called him but kind of the elderly man like the wise yeah I think they just called him the holy man yeah the holy man yeah yeah yeah. where you have this holy man which I think I saw him portrayed in a pretty positive light I mean, or at least an indifferent light where he was kind of above everything that was happening. But it kind of left me a little bit confused as to what the movie was trying to or if it was trying to say anything about repression. Because I feel like it probably was, especially with Sister Ruth. But I mean, like the repression thing, I didn't really consider juxtaposing them with the holy man. But like, I guess on a very surface and basic level, I just saw it as kind of like a more of a critique on like religion and British colonialist tendencies, kind of like, and like societal, you know, societal roles that we assign ourselves to maintain this kind of status in the world that kind of has led to these like women going insane because they're not allowed to just kind of freely do whatever they want they don't need to present themselves as like superior quote-unquote superior white people which disgusting but um (laughs) so that that I think that was it really for me I don't the holy man I don't even really know what to think of him sometimes because he's just I thought they were kind of more gawking at him like using him as a way to even further kind of drive home that this environment is weird and everything so I don't really know you do bring a good point though because like they do at the same time present him kind of as like well he's just minding his own business like and he's like somehow found his peace or whatever. But I mean, at the minimum, I think it's the repression more for me more relates to kind of religion and British British imperialistic tendencies. I don't know. What about you, Rohan? Yeah, I mean, it, it brings up an interesting thing because supposedly when I've been I've been reading more and more about this, the the biggest thing of this film is sort of a bit beyond the imperialism even though we talked about it is the eroticism of the film like yeah I think like Scorsese calls it like one of the most one of the earliest erotic films ever made I mean every um, time it flashes back every time it like flashes back to her like I guess that's quote-unquote erotic I don't know like when she like thinks about her first love it was kind of hot not gonna lie um so like I yeah sorry continue <laughs> oh no no I was just gonna say it, it's interesting because the the sort of it, 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 viewing it in 2021 nearly 80 years ish after it's made is like does the eroticism still hold it because the whole premise of that yes is that yeah and I and that's I think one of the feats of the film is like the the repression theme is is accentuated only because like sort of 
the luscious nature of everything that we've talked about, how it's shot, sort of the problematic sort of environmentalization of everything. That's what the film sort of hinges its main theme on. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of how it gets all of everything to this point. So I was just curious. Yeah, because both of you nodded your head. So I'm assuming you also agree that like the eroticism worked in the film, even though it's like a 1940s thing and like many people might consider it a bit outdated. I mean, time, Mr. Dean and Sister yeah. Claude like talk or have like a tender moment. I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, let's I mean, I mean, not gonna lie, Mr. Dean's kind of hot. Like, oh, like straight up, straight up. Like, no, no, no. Like, oh, I, oh my god. Yeah. Like, it was funny because I, I was listening to. Um, I was I watched this on the Criterion Channel and I I listened to sort of how Powell and Pressburger they they did they this is the only actor they like looked at him and they were like his charm and his look they're like it goes beyond anything and that's the only actor apparently they've ever signed to three film contract with just on the spot the minute they they felt they they saw him they were like you're gonna be in three of our movies which so I find amazing I find it an amazing and impeccable decision by the pair. I'm glad. I'm glad they just were like, wow, you're so hot. You will definitely be a good instigator for like our erotic film. (laughs) Yeah. And I I agree. Like the the moments between uh, Cloda and Mr. Dean really, really work well because both of the actors. I think he also, he's also the one that triggers all the flashbacks for her as well. I guess that's why I like found them. Or I don't think he's the sole purpose, but like they seem related in a sense. And so for me, like that was like the most interesting, like when those flashbacks started kicking in, that's when it like this film got me. That's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't consider the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say, I didn't think about that. I didn't, I didn't really take note of when the flashbacks happen, but if it's Mr. Dean that's instigating it, I think that, that, that hammers the, the point even more home. I think um, it is. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to, I'll have to re- go back one day. And I don't know if it was everyone, but there were definitely some, I think, where he was yeah, a catalyst. Yeah. But talking about eroticism, like, especially the scenes with Sister Ruth at the more and more, like, especially that scene where she gets the dress and she, like, transforms <laughs> from a nun to, like, a, you know, a woman now. Nuns are women. Natalia. <laughs> she's in front of um sister Cloda and she's putting on the lipstick and it's that mm-hmm. close-up and then it goes to her eyes I mean that's just I I found that probably the most erotic scene of the movie mm-hmm. agree yeah that's also really old. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean the way they shoot Ruth I think like her face like that last half the, the last third of the movie I think I probably the moment that will I will remember is when she I forget what they were talking about but it's between her sister Cloda and her are just talking and the way the shadows coming onto her teeth and it's like the her eyelids it she looks terrifying like legitimately yeah. terrifying and I was like holy shit like I'm scared like this isn't a horror movie but I'm genuinely scared of Ruth and sort of what's what's gonna happen like like that's why I bought into that last half of the madness and like oh shit she's so scary (laughs) yeah like oh shit this is going down like like I didn't know what was gonna happen it felt so unpredictable and I think the way she shot and sort of the 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 lust the danger it's sort of thrilling I don't know I feel like 1940s Hollywood for saying lust and thrill it's all great you know 
but like it it, it is it worked I, I was I loved that I love that well Natalia you also mentioned kind of how you like loved the close-up in the film I mean they're mostly employed in like the last third of a movie with Sister Ruth and Mr. Dean right like mm-hmm. I don't I didn't mind at least unless like my mind completely just didn't register the first two acts which it did I feel but I don't know most of the close-ups were in the third act and so yeah like also did they like make sister ruth like whiter and whiter and whiter as she got more and more insane or was that my like mind just playing tricks on me because i was like holy shit i'm fucking scared of this woman i, I definitely think the because like she like even like even if they didn't like the, the, the from going from the white to the red it, it, it'll, yeah. it'll the contrast there will automatically change but I wouldn't be surprised if like makeup and hairstyling had a little bit to do with that as well. She definitely got sweatier. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you get sweaty, at least personally, like I get red. I look like Mm -hmm. like, I've like drank like five cans of beer, you know, when I sweat. Yeah. When I sweat, when I sweat this, this past weekend, it was, it was, I just felt gross and like I felt gross watching it too. Like it, it, it mirrored reality in, in a way that was a bit uncomfortable for me. Um given also she life. was like, even though she was sweating so much, her face like did remain pretty pale. So it gave kind of like this ghostly, like possessed, almost dead look, which was I mean, it was almost horror, like like you said, Rohan, I was scared. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, also, like her red hair, like her yeah. hair is like red. And so it's like, fuck, it looks like it's on fire or something. Especially yeah. in comparison to the nuns who are just like decked out in white and can't really see anything beyond their face. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I, I, the horror element, I think that's actually, I, I didn't get a chance to mention this, but I actually, when I first heard about this film and I heard the film Black Narcissus, I was like, oh shit, this is a scary film. Like I thought, I legitimately thought that and like, the film kind of didn't let me down in that way. I was interesting. I mean, when she like comes at Mr. Well, no, when she first, like when they struggle on the cliff or like, and she like attempts to push, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> solid ending, I would say. It was a really solid ending for me. No, no, dude, like the, the, the last third of this film is like incredible. I just have so many, like my brain just can't comprehend what's going on with this weird racial, and, but also critique imperialism like this weird middling ground kind of thing yeah yeah. and you know this film was like released around the time that Britain was like leaving India and so like that obviously has to play a role in the yeah this film as well I mean it has to because like literally the year of partition was 1947 the year this came out which is very interesting to me on like a real life plane I don't know I, I I I agree. I think they, they it's entirely mismanaged from like the the theme could have been really well. It could have been a really well executed like message, but I think it got buffled. I just think it's like I bet they were like probably going like my hunch is they went into the film being like, "Oh, I we could critique British colonialists." But like the racial tendencies that like of the time where like they don't even think about it, like the microaggressions are not even like comprehending in their mind. And so like yeah. things that they think about that they think probably aren't racist at the time, but now are, were just like naturally put in because they didn't think it was bad. And then like, when you look at it now, you're just like, 
Hmm. <laughs> yeah, they 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 didn't they acknowledge the imperialism without acknowledging the racism. And I think that's that's the bottom yeah. line yeah. of it is that if you can't acknowledge one without the other and if you do get something pretty problematic that could have been not problematic. Yeah, I think you hit it. Like they 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 talk about they critique imperialism but they don't comprehend the racism that they're putting in <laughs> which is like what that makes yeah. like no sense because like imperialism is like based on racism yes <laughs> you know the 1940s can't really give them a pass but i guess like a quarter pass i mean i don't know because it's like that's like my biggest issue with the movie in general because like i think it's like a technical masterpiece like on a very technical and cinematic in terms of a visual thing like very like i would i as i hope all movies aspire to look like this but my my head just can't wrap around that thematic quality of it yeah that's that's 100 fair but i guess maybe i have to read the book that it's based on maybe uh, it's maybe i mean suppose the so the, the author of the book this is also for those that don't know this is one of the very few Powell and Pressburger films that's not an original screenplay. This is based off a book made in the 1930s. The woman that wrote this was, um, wrote this based off of her memories in the, in, in living in India, which it, it makes you think about the, 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 the life she led in India um, may not necessarily be 100% accurate or representative of everybody that was living in India or the people surrounding her. I don't know. I, I think I, I have to read the book as well to figure out sort of where the the weird stuff comes from. But because mm-hmm. like I think it's like wow, this film is like talked about it. Like we, I at least for me, like the main thing that comes out of it is like it's erotic tension and it's erotic about erotic repression. So how the hell does that correlate with an environment? Yeah, and I mean like it, it's a thing where like in in when you're learning sort of about like oh, the, the, the common trope is, oh, a character goes from like one place to another place and they learn something different about themselves because of wh- where they are all of a sudden and then they come back and they're changed. And like the basic story premise, like I, I feel sets it up really badly for like, oh, depending on which place this is and who you are entering this place, it can be like very problematic. Like painting of the Indian orgy essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that just sets it up as, like, oh, this place is going to cause you to have, like, bad sexual fantasies, and it does play out kind of that way. And you're just like, what the fuck? Why would a place do that? <laughs> yeah, and I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. Okay. I also wonder how prevalent the character that Gene Simmons plays, I can't remember her name, is in the book, because in the movie, pretty much the only kind of purpose that I found that she served thematically is to show that in contrast with the monastery and the nuns she really didn't repress any of her kind of you know eroticism or sensual desires and she kind of ended up with a happy ending you know kind of marrying the the general or the general son I forget exactly what his title is but she you know so I guess then I don't want to say the environment but the environment kind of worked for her in that way so I don't know if it's like totally I, I think that's my problem though with it is that it's it sort of it's sort of justifying the environment by saying oh look the people here succeed because of the prop 
I don't know. It, it, it goes back to that thing of like, is it the people trying to come in or is it the environment that right, the right. film is blaming? And it's very, it, it, I think it's easier. I think it's probably more right to say that it's the environment, but you can also definitely see how Powell and Pressburg were like, oh no, it's the people. And, but yeah, and I think the point of that whole subplot, which is wildly, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, like the, the brown face just completely like ruins any chance it's of me. Really small in comparison. It's, yeah, yeah, it's really small. And I, I, I just, the fact that like they're using just, they're, they're using white beauty standards to like sort of justify like, oh, this guy's falling in love with this woman. It's just so wrong like wrong plain ass wrong and it, it just it, it throws off that because i think that they're tr it's trying to say oh look this land is so free it's so wild like that's the thing about like um I, I, like it's, it's this general indian stereotype it's like oh this is a land of the kama sutra you know love and sexual freedom is like a wild thing in india and it's like that's 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 really you know stereotyping denigrating in a lot of ways to like what India is actually is and so that I think if they took that out of the movie like it would have been a better movie objectively yeah. like the characters and the plot itself at least in my view so this this film this film really really blew it. like it was it was shooting like a solid four for six at the beginning or at the at the end of the game but shot like one of 20 at the for the first two acts and so I, I don't know. I, it also I doesn't really help that like Powell and Pressburger, at least, I mean, I've only seen Matter of Life and Death, but Matter of Life and Death is like, there's something very cheeky about like what's like their language in which they talk. And like that cheekiness doesn't really like translate well <laughs> with like when you're trying to give dialogue to like these native people, you know? And then it just leads to like stereotype, easy stereotyping. Yeah, it, it's because I, I agree, like the matter of life and death, the, the film, like it, it, the dialogue is so reminiscent of the talkies and that what is so that's like, the, like, yeah, <laughs> and that's for white people in Hollywood and it works fine for those movies. Um, and I, I don't think it translates well to the subject material, like the tone and the people that are in this film. So I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it quite worked for me either. Although the, it, I think there's something interesting to be said about the young general like wanting to kind of westernize and then at the end just being like, yeah, no, fuck that. There's something interesting to be said because I think Natalia, you, yeah, like what you said about kind of the nuns in juxtaposition to the young general and Hanshi jeans. Yes. Like yes. there is something to be said about like them being, I guess, not depicted. I don't know they're depicted as kind of weird but like they're not they're not depicted as having gone insane and lost it you know so they're and like those two didn't necessarily try to people thought they needed to be oh the young general thought he needed to be fixed and then people thought that Conchi needed to be fixed and in reality they both aren't quote-unquote fixed in the standards of the nun and Mr. Dean they kind of act upon their own instincts in a way which is also I think you could say is also problematic and just saying like oh they followed their instinct but at the same time there yeah I think there there is possibly something there of like don't force something that is that's not inherent of the people like of people um just again the depiction of those two in general is like very weird and off that like 
getting to a conclusion like that seems like like I'm grasping, you know. I, and the, don't try to force something kind of the theme of imperialism in history like <laughs> so I think you can return like the the two the eroticism and the imperialism are intertwined and like I think one's problematic and it kind of sinks the other even though the other one's pretty good like overall it just sinks the whole sort of yeah. message of the film for me especially because like the eroticism doesn't really I mean it's so prevalent in like the last third but it like takes a while for it to become yeah. and so you're like stuck in this really murky area for a good 60 minutes yeah yeah and that that's kind of also where the where the film slowed for me was like sort of the the, the obstacles coming again and again I, I kind of lost a bit of interest there just because I didn't know where the film was heading like if the film was more definitive and followed more of Ruth and Clodagh's and Mr. Dean's sort of relationship I think I may have been a bit more invested in it but I don't know, it would also have been weird to like not acknowledge the imperialism. I don't know, I, I feel like it, it just, it's a complicated thing to like deal with imperialism themes. I think that's the, that's the lesson that I learned from Black Narcissists is if any filmmaker out there is looking to make an imperial film, uh, look at this and try to <laughs> not, not follow its example, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it tries because you can definitely see that it's like critiquing the white people and the nuns coming in, you know, but yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like, and this is really tangential, but like when Sofia Coppola was making The Beguiled, it was based off of the, the Clint Eastwood, um, the Clint Eastwood um, film of the same name. And in or based off of the book and uh, the, but the book in the original Clint Eastwood film included a, a black slaves to the orphanage and Sofia Coppola chose to remove that out of her film. Cause she was like, I can't really, I feel like I'll fuck up, you know, talking about that, mm -hmm. which is fair, but also like, if you don't manage to talk about that in antebellum, like, like civil war South, yeah, you're just like totally ignoring it. That's also problematic. So it's, it's interesting. I think you have to talk about it and you have to talk about it right. It's pretty much just what I, well, if, if you want to write down viewers or listeners, not viewers, if you want to write down one thing from today's lesson, from today's podcast is talk about it and talk about it right. We're, we're, we're teaching, we're educating, we're educating the listeners out there. I don't know how many listeners we have, but we're educating them. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much got everything that I wanted to say about the film off my chest. I don't know if any <laughs> of y'all have anything else we wanted to, we, we talked a lot about the themes, but any, any, any other elements, any reason why if, well, well, actually, let me ask you this. Would you recommend somebody watch this film? Yes or no? Yes, I think so. Cause the last third really makes the first two thirds worth it. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Also, like, Mr. Bean is super hot, like, anything, <laughs> yes. you know, you can see just, like, on a very simplistic level, at least on the last third, it's like, horny nuns let loose because a very attractive man, like, who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> Fair, I, I, I agree, I, I think it's, I think it's worth it for the tech, the technical no, aspect and that part. Like, for that, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Any any other reasons why why people should check out this this the second of the three I mean, films I think here? Pressburger in general is just like a directing duo that no one really talks about, but there's they seem so important and kind of like 
if any if you're like interested at all in cinematography or how to block you know a film like they should be oh and sp- lighting and yeah and lighting. And lighting is insane yeah so yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah so i think i think that, that'll that'll wrap it up for today uh i will recommend go check it out right now it is on hbo max and the criterion channel HBO Max, what? Yeah, HBO Max has a really solid lineup, by the way, of like a lot of Criterion stuff. For those that are listening and want to continue with our trilogy, um, we will be following this up next week with the third and final installment of our Powell and Pressburger trilogy, which is Red Shoes. You can also find that on the Criterion channel and HBO Max for those of you that want to watch it before listening. And if you like what you've heard here today or anything before, um, feel free to check out UW Film Club. Um, You can find us on our Instagram at UW Film Club on Twitter and Instagram, as well as um, UW Film Club on Facebook. If you use Facebook, I don't know, people sometimes use it. But yeah, and if you want to check out more podcast episodes, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Um, Those are the only four, unfortunately, because we on a budget. With that, thank you, Natalia and Cynthia, for spending a nice, solid afternoon with this person. Um, I don't know why I said that was really weird with me. <laughs> <laughs> I just pointed to myself and said this person. Um, thank you for talking for the past hour with me. Hope you all enjoyed it. And with that, we'll outro it out. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.